0: Listener, prepare thyself. You are now entering a realm of the strange, the silly, the surreal. I now present to you the Dashfire Diaries. Welcome to Pumpkinhead Jack, Chapter the Third. Here we are at the Cannonade Public House, and I'm sitting with this wee lad that I found out back selling penny dreadfuls, and he's been a good lad and buying me pints, and scribing me tail. Ah, uh, yes. Excuse me, Gingerbeard the Bad. I thought you said last episode was chapter three. Uh, did I? Well,. I didn't go to school for siphon, lad. That's why I joined the Navy, I did. Oh. Now, lad, I have to warn you. This next episode is right scary. Good. I was wondering when it was going to get better. Well, lad, it's so scary that uh, I'm going to need a parental consent form for you to listen to it. Parental consent form? But you've been buying me pints all day. What I need with a parental consent form. Good point, lad. Here, uh, why don't I just sign it myself and we'll call it good. As long as you keep buying me pints as well. Hmm, all right. Okay. Let's get to it. Chapter the third. A boy called Jack. There once was a boy named Jack. He grew up on the streets of a very large, sooty city. Barefoot, hawking matchsticks and sweeping chimneys to survive. He was sweet, but not very clever. He had a bull haircut and thick ginger hair. He lived with his mother in the ginger, ginger section of town. And he came out only to ply his meager trades. Jack was little for his age, but could not remember what milk or biscuits tasted like. Like young Clatter, he survived on gruel, but instead of thatch and cowhide, little Jack's world was one of coal-scorched red brick, of broken glass, dark deadened alleyways, and tenement slums. He, too, wore fingerless gloves, cut from the cast-off knickers, pilfered from the rubbish bins of the well-to-do. Jackie, where's me daily jingly-janglies? Called Jack's mother, as soon as she saw his downcast eyes when he returned to the urban hovel. His face was black and blue, streamed with tears. Well, I'm sorry, Mom. T'was the Pouty Boys gang again. They nicked it. Nicked it? Why, you've made more tales to tell than a penny dreadful. With that, she cuffed him on the air and turned out his pockets to ensure they were empty. I've had to take on extra work because of your likes. Ever since your father run off, I've had to take in laundry. Look at what the lie done to me hands. What man will want this? She cried, holding up her and withered hands for Jack to see. I'll sooner go to the devil than back to Marshall. See, you don't remember that place. You was too young, but I won't forget. I'm sorry, Mum. I'm sorry, said Jack, tears streaming down his face. What can I do? There's five blokes corner me every time. This is what said his Mum with that. She flicked her hand from a billowing dress and produced a sharp blade fashioned from an old bit of tin. In the blink of an eye, she swiped the blade across his face, leaving a long scratch. Ow, said Jack. Why'd you do me like that? For your own advancement, she said, smiling a gap-toothed grin. You will need to be quicker next time. She made to strike him again. When Jack flinched and raised his hands to protect his face, she spun the blade round and placed it in his hands, handle first, laughing dryly. You know what it's like to be batty-fanged, she said, but you don't know what pain is any more than a swine knows the queen. Mark me well, son. Protect me investment, or you'll be the scabbard for the next shiv I make. Jack nodded and gulped hard tucking the knife away underneath his tattered coat. What Jack didn't know was that the fa- his father never ran off. He died of ague at Marshall Sea during a Christmas freeze-up in which there was no water for any of the inmates. What Jack also didn't know was that his father gave his last crust of bread to give to Jack as a gift from Father Christmas. But His mother devoured it instead, and prayed for the death of her son, rather than the deliverance of her husband. Weeks passed since Jack's mother gave him his homemade tool of death. Jack felt the heft in weight of it each time he carried it, and silently resolved to toss it aside rather than use it, should his persecutors ever meet him again. Inevitably, they did come again, exercising even more brutality than before. The knife remained dormant and hidden from the pouty boys gang, just as Jack had wished. But again, his entire day's meagre wages were gone too. When Jack met his mother empty-handed, she took the tin bucket he was using to clean laundry and threw it all over Jack's head. Little Jack felt the burning stinging of the lie as it washed over him. When he reached up to take it off, his mother held it down. I can't see, mother. I can't see," he said, while she laughed. Every so often, Jack felt a loud clang as his mother hit the bucket. He groped round wildly, never knowing where the next blow would come from. Keep it on your head until you learn not to lose me, coin buckethead Jack. I'm gonna. I'm going out now. Take off that bucket at your peril, because you'll never know when I return. And if I see you've taken it off, I'll put your head in it without your scrawny bag of bones attached. Yes, mum, don't mind me, boy. Jack's mum left, and it seemed as though hours passed inside the cold, dark dump that passed for poor Jack's home. It was made even colder by the fact that Jack's head was wearing a bucket. The bucket radiated the cold and muffled the sounds of cheer and merriment that came from far below. Because it was rusty, it caused Jack's head to itch something fearful, and because it was upturned, it could not catch the tears that cascaded from his eyes. Jack heard a rap, rap, tapping on the bucket, which frightened him because he had heard no such footsteps approach the dismal covert in which he was lodged. Then... With aura, he saw one spindly leg, then another, then another, as a very large spider crept on the inside of the bucket. Jack let out a scream and threw the bucket off his head. At that moment, his mother entered the palace of decrepitude and began laughing. <laughs> she wobbled to and fro, sodden with drink. Oh, look! She said, pointing to the spider scurrying away. I gives you a shiver, and you are scared of a lonely spider. Mark me, boy. You ain't long for this world. Ha ha ha. The next day, Jack's mother gave him a wry smile. I've got a new rob for you. I, I means job. <laughs> Being as I can't trust you with matchsticks no more. I needs ye to get into Ironwood Manor. Ironwood Manor, said Jack hesitantly. He could sense it when she was up to no good, which was all the time, really. But I wouldn't be allowed anywhere near there on account of my smell and me shabby coat. Besides, Mum, isn't the Ironwoods minted? And that type don't purchase the wares of street urchins like myself. What? Who says you was going in in the front door? You was going in hugger-mugger. How's that? She thrust a large brush on a stick at him. You're going to sweep that chimney. Jack breathed a sigh of relief at this, because although sweeping chimneys was hard labor, it was honest work at least. Jack's mother cleaned Jack and herself as best she could, pricking her finger with a needle and dabbing a bit of her blood on her and Jack's cheeks to give them a glow of health and vitality that was sorely lacking amongst the unfortunate and low people who ate nothing but old cabbage soup. She put on a dress that was only slightly moth-eaten and tied a crooked, dirty blue bow-tie round Jack's neck. It was much too large for him. She took his hand and they walked from their flat on the wagon-wheel-rutted, muddy, woebegone way to the smooth flagstones of Ironwood Lane. Jack knew that any family with a house and a street named after them were toffs indeed. As they walked out of their own neighborhood they became more and more conspicuous and the people who they crossed paths with were better dressed and took only sidelong glances at them. Mothers pulled their children tighter and ladies walking arm in arm with gentlemen walked faster. "'Why do they look at us so, mother?' said Jack, pie-eyed with wonder. "'Why do you think we ain't got a halfpenny between us?' "'They hate us because we're poor,' said Jack. "'Aye,' said his mother. "'But where's the hate? There's pity, and we can use that again em. "'I'll smile pretty, and hold on my hands, and you do likewise.' And if we get in, I'll tell you what to do next. Ironwood Manor was at the end of a street that was named for it. It was a five-story mansion with separate stables, servants' quarters, a large private park and garden, fountains that jetted water from marble statues, all encircled by a tall, wrought-iron fence and gate. The gate was open already. So they walked up to the front door, ascending a staircase and standing beneath a portico held aloft by pillars of greco roman design. They leave their gates open, said Jack's mum. That's a good sign. Why? said Jack. You'll see, she winked. Jack had never seen a door so large and ornate, except at the cathedral, when his mother had taken him on ginger day, when the vicar said a prayer for all the lost souls of the poor unfortunates. His mother took a large brass ring door knocker in her pale hand and rapped on the door. A uniformed valet opened the door and frowned at them disdainfully. He wore a powdered white wig and white knickers, tucked into shoes fastened with gold buckles. State your business, he said. Jack bowed theatrically and dropped to one knee, as his mother had taught him. It is a most unusual pleasurable occurrence to make your honourable acquaintance, your High Lordship, said Jack, who felt his mother pinch him from behind. The servant responded with uproarious laughter. The master is not in, he said. "'I will take your message and then be gone. "'We have no arms to convey to you here. "'We fed all our scraps to the chambermaid's assistant's pet rat, I'm afraid.' "'Jack's mother grimaced. "'Forgive me son's manners,' she said. "'We is old friends of his lordship, Lord Ironwood, you see, "'and we ain't here to beg scraps of ye, "'but we wish honest work for the lad here.' "'The servant chuffed and rolled his eyes.' If you are well acquainted with his lordship, then tell me his Christian name. Well, you see, it's been such a long time, and me old melon isn't what it used to be since I heard the plague. I'm all of twenty three now and more than halfway to the eternity box, you see, sir, and his name demanded the servant. Uh it is James. Robert, William, Horatio, am I warm? said Jack's mother. Begone, before I give you both a sound drubbing you'll never forget. Just then, a man came riding up on horseback. He wore a green velvet jacket and eye black leather and boots, carried an engraved and gold-trimmed musket. He was followed by an eager hound that looked better fed than Jack or his mother. What's all this? he said, addressing the servant. I'm sorry, sir. I was just turning away these two... "'persons of questionable repute. "'They will pester your lordship no longer.' "'What do they want?' he said, dismounting. "'He patted the horse and walked up to Jack, smiling. "'I'm Sir Harold Henry Harvey Halstead Ironwood, "'or just Lord Ironwood, if you wish. "'Take no heed of my firelock. "'I have just returned from hedgehog hunting. "'As of now, I have yet to even sight the creatures. "'And what is your name, little crimson fellow?' I'm Jack, just Jack, and this here is me mother. I call her mother, he said. Jack half expected to be cuffed, for his mother hated it when he called her mother. But instead, she smiled and curtsied and pinched Jack, prompting him to bow again. Charming, how positively charming, said Lord Ironwood. Some people find the presence of unfortunates degrading, but they remind me of the twin virtues of charity and pity he said. The low remind the fortunate of our fortunes and as such they do us a good turn. In fact, I often go slubbing on Sundays to the nearby insane asylum and on Way. There's nothing so diverting as watching unfortunates go about their daily menial tasks. We are from Wobegone Way, Jack blurted out, and we need pity. Some people said we are pitiful. But we must be pity empty, because my mother says we need more pity. Lord Ironwood laughed heartily at this. You are a most amusing little ginger boy, aren't you? I shall call you Brimstone and shorten it to Brimmy. Ha <laughs> ha ha! Please come inside out of this wretched weather and get warm and dry. I shall even invite you to sup with Chomper and Clomper, my beloved hounds. Once inside, Lord Ironwood's valet. "'set down plates of bread for little Jack and his mother. "'They sat on the floor and ate "'while Jack's mother looked round the house carefully. "'Look there,' she whispered to Jack. "'I bet that bust alone is worth five pounds,' she said, "'pointing to a head made out of marble, "'resting on a raised podium. "'Face your eyes on that candlestick on the table. "'That's real silver, I reckon, "'and over here the knobs on these doors have gold in them. "'Just one would do us for months.' "'I ain't never seen such fine things,' said Jack. "'They're more than fine, Buckethead. "'They're money. "'With one we could come out here and live like kings we could. "'No more war we gone way.' "'They heard the sound of Lord Ironwood's voice "'echoed down distant corridors, "'and then he returned with a lad in tow, "'a little boy about Jack's age. "'He had blond, close-cropped hair,' deep blue eyes and a sour look upon his face. Jack, this is my son Edgar, said Lord Ironwood. He will one day be Lord Ironwood and know all of this. I want him to make friends with you, so that he will learn to take pity on unfortunates. Say hello, Edgar. Hello, Edgar, <clears throat> said Jack, smiling. Lord Ironwood made a cross look at Edgar and cleared his throat. Sorry. "'Hello, Jack. I'm pleased to meet you. "'Excellent. Now shake hands. Shake his hand like a gentleman, Edgar,' said Lord Ironwood. "'Edgar took Jack's hand and squeezed it hard. then wiped his coat in disgust. "'The gesture went unnoticed by Lord Ironwood. "'Jolly good,' he said. "'Now you will be friends, and Jack will teach you the twin virtues of charity and pity. "'Wonderful!' Lord Ironwood told Jack when he came back and sweeped their chimneys and generously agreed to pay him a halfpenny for every day he worked. Jack appeared at the appointed hour on the next day and Lord Ironwood's ballet, pointed at a dark, soot-covered owl, the massive main hearth, where the fire burned, which heated the main portion of Ironwood Manor. Jack leaned his head in and quivered, Unearthly owling noises emanated from within. He looked straight up, but could see nothing but blackness, endless blackness. Get up there and clean that stack and be quick about it. No lollygagging, said the servant. And when you are finished, you will report directly to me at the servant's entrance. If you stray from my instructions, if you soil the rugs with your grubby shoes, if anything goes missing, or... If you are negligent or slow in the execution of your assigned task, you will be spanked in front of the servants and summarily dismissed. Go! How will I know if I've done good? said Jack. It's dark as night. A rat needs no eyes, said the servant. No, go! Jack took his brush and started climbing up the dark owl, scrubbing as he went. He tried not to think about the drop. The howling and moaning sounds or how alone he was. He heard scuffling noises and imagined that spiders or rats were his only companions. The soles of his shoes were peeling and his feet slipped and put him in danger of losing his tenuous purchase on the chimney with every moment, every movement he made. His cold sweat mingled with the black charcoal dust. He coughed and choked with each breath. As the fine mist of ash coated every pore, every thread in his tunic, every inch of his mouth, throat, and lungs, it went on forever. Instead of descending into hell, he was pulling himself up to it, inch by white-knuckled inch, and tried not to think about whether rats and spiders ate little boys. Finally, he reached the top of the chimney, and after knocking a... Last load of soot from the chimney he found himself staring down at the house far below, as well as the rest of the vast estate. After breathing coal dust for hours, he savoured the crisp fresh air, inhaling deeply. Even the grey light and misty rain was a sunny paradise compared to where he climbed out of. He thanked Providence for delivering him from his misery, Renata having his mother nearby to chastise him, or the Pouty Boys gang, or Lord Ione was valid, or anyone else. For the first time in his life, he could do as exactly as he pleased. Just then, he heard a loud, ghastly moaning issue from the bottom of the chimney. Jack, moaned a voice. Jack, I'm to take you away. Who is that? he cried. What do you want? Jack, I want your soul. Go away, he cried. Go away, go away. I ain't done nothing to you. I don't care, Jack. I'm waiting for you down here. The moaning continued as Jack made his way back down the chimney. The voice kept calling his name. Jack considered climbing down the roof, but the chimney was too high up to jump from. He knew he would surely die if he did. There was no way up. There was no way up but down, down the same way he'd gone up. Who or what was down there waiting for him? A ghost? The devil himself? All he knew was that there was no escape. He slid to the bottom, wiped the soot from his eyes, and stepped into the dim light of the great room of Ironwood Manor. Look at you, said the voice of a little boy. You've been crying. You're a crybaby, it was Edgar Ironwood. I am not, said Jack. Ah oh, so I can see the lines through the soot on your face from your crybaby tears. Why were you crying, crybaby? There's something coming from me soul, said Jack. You don't have a soul, said Edgar. You're just trash. Your father doesn't think so said jack edgar cuffed jack on the mouth and jack's tears began again don't speak of my father ever my father is a dunce he's soft in the head our valet says you're here to steal from us liar said jack i didn't do nothing nothing and now a ghost wants to take me away his sobbing grew louder and suddenly jack fell on his side shaking uncontrollably What's this? said Edgar. The hatred went out of his eyes. Are you having a fit? Jack? Jack? Quit, quit faking. But Jack didn't stop, and Jack didn't speak. Edgar rolled up a Persian rug nearby and set it on <sighs> under Jack's head. He ran out of the room. When Edgar returned, he had a bottle of medicine and a silver spoon. He poured some on the spoon, spilling it on the ground and Jack's face. Finally, he got some of the medicine in Jack's mouth. The shaking slowly subsided. Jack opened his eyes and looked at Edgar with horror. Are you all right? asked Edgar. Jack nodded. I didn't mean for that to happen. Get up. You need to get up and go. You'll be dismissed. And they won't let you back if they see you like this. "'Look, what?' said Jack. "'Weak. Weak and pathetic,' said Edgar. "'I know,' said Jack. "'I didn't mean for you to have a fit,' said Edgar. "'The doctor says this one is the nerve tonic,' he said, "'gesturing to the medicine bottle. "'My mother takes it for her fits.' I'm not supposed to say that she does, but I've seen them. What's your mother like? said Jack. She has a nervous temper. She's scared all the time, mostly scared something will happen to me. I think she's crackers. She loves me very much. I am her favorite son. Oh, said Jack, my mother hates me. Jack looked down at the rug, and his, his head had lain upon. It was covered in soot. "'That was a hundred pounds,' said Edgar. "'Papa got it special from the Orient. "'He said ten people had to go blind, weaving it. "'It's so fine. "'They'll kill me now.' "'No, they won't,' said Edgar. "'I'll think of something. "'If you come back.' "'How can I come back?' said Jack. "'A ghost wants me so.' "'Don't be daft. That was me. Couldn't you tell?' "'No.' "'Well, I thought you would know better.' "'You don't know anything, do you?' "'Do you like me?' said Jack. "'Of course not,' said Edgar. "'You're trash. I'll get sick from even touching you. "'Are you coming back again?' he asked. "'I suppose I have to.' "'Good,' said Edgar. "'I'd better go find the servant,' Jack said. "'I'm supposed to report to him. What "'What if he finds a rug? I'll be spanked for sure.' I have it in hand. Don't fret, said Edgar. Jack walked towards the door. I didn't mean for you to have a fit, Edgar called after him. Don't forget to come back tomorrow. Jack wiped his nose on his sleeve and nodded. Jack's mother clapped her hands together when he got home. What did you bring us? Some jingly-jangles? She emptied Jack's pockets and only one halfpenny fell out of his pocket. It rolled away towards a dark corner of their hovel. Jack's mother chased after it, crying, Oh! Oh! in consternation. She leapt like a cat, pouncing on the tarnished coin, slapping a hand over it to arrest its flight. Then she turned to Jack. What else you bring? Jack shook his head helplessly from side to side. She stepped up to Jack, grabbed him by the legs, turned him upside down and shook him for a full minute. Though scrawny, she was wily and strong. When nothing come out of Jack's like clouds of black soot, she coughed, gagged, dropped into the floor like a used-up potato sack. That's it? A lousy harpenny. That's me folks' daily wages, said Jack. Wage, rather. That's nothing. I showed you all the things to take, and you come home with a harpenny. Why didn't you at least bring the silver candlestick? "'Because no one give it to me,' said Jack. "'Of course no one give it to you. "'No one gives anything to allow. "'If you want something, you must take it.' "'But I don't want it,' said Jack. "'Well, I do. "'And I'll got you the next time you come up empty. "'Is you simple? "'You're my investment, see? "'So you best bring me coin.' And what makes coin see, if one takes we have been given ain't it stealing, said Jack, course it is, and if you get caught for it, you'll swing what's more, what we got to lose, our souls said Jack, a look came across his mother's face, a look of pure, murderous rage, her eyes glowed with a kind of vitality Jack had never seen before. Then it passed, and she laughed so hard she fell. "'You're worth nothing, but at least you was amusing,' she said with a chuckle. "'Tomorrow you best come back with that candlestick, so or no so. "'It matters not, because if you don't, this will be the last time you ever see me.'" The next day Jack cleaned the chimneys at Ironwood Manor, waiting for something bad to happen. Surely the val- the cruel valet... Or perhaps Lord Ironwood himself would beat him for soiling the Persian rug for which so many people had lost their sight. Maybe they would find out his or his mother's secrets, or the things they'd eaten to survive. All could plainly see they were low. But no one but Jack and his mother knew the true depths to which they'd sunk. As Jack crept up the flue of the main chimney, he waited for the low moaning The spiders and the rats to get him at every turn. It didn't matter that Edgar said that he was the author of the noises, that he said he had played a trick. Jack knew spirits were real and they did not like to be mocked. When Jack finished his work, sooty as ever, he exited the fireplace in the great room. There had been no low moanings, no angry servants, just his tortured conscience. He knew that if he didn't bring home something, that is to say, steal something from his employer, his mother would hit him, and far worse. Stealing was wrong. Jack knew that. But was it wrong to survive? Maybe he could take the silver candlestick. It would be easy. Jack put it under his loose tunic, next to the homemade knife she'd made, and walked out. He would show it to his mother and prove That he could be useful. Then he would take it back. That wasn't stealing. That wasn't even taking. It was just borrowing. Not a peep could be heard in the great room. Jack ran over the table on which the silver candlestick rested. He had to put a sooty handprint on the white lace-trimmed tablecloth to haul himself up to reach it. He reached over a bowl of apples and oranges and paused for one second. Was it right? What he was doing? Would he get caught? Jack fought hard. But his heart pounded and his brain felt scrambled. He snatched the crack candlestick and looked behind him, seeing his own sooty footprints impressed into the white rug leading from the hearth to the table. He couldn't possibly clean up the mess he'd made. There was no turning back now. He jumped off the table with the candlestick in his left hand and stuffed it under his tunic. Where are you going with that? Said Edgar. Jack whipped his head round. There stood Edgar of Ironwood, silent as a ghost, leaning against the door frame. Uh, I, didn't see you there," said Jack, wide-eyed. "You are trash." "They were right," said Edgar. "That candlestick belonged to my grandsire," said Edgar. "I'm sorry." Put it, put, put it back. No, I can't. My mother needs it more. That candlestick is the only thing that holds a good memory for my mother. It was her father's. You just say it was your grandsire's. Her father is my grandsire, you dunce. Now put it back. My mother will know it's missing. I have something else you can take. I go opened the flap of his jacket, revealing a string of pearls. He smiled. These were an old box no one looks in. Why? Because charity and pity are the twin virtues, to quote my father, said Edgar sarcastically with a smirk. I'm taking pity on the low, on the lowest of the low, here. He tossed the pearls to Jack, who caught them and set them on the floor. What are you doing? said Edgar. You want to take something, so there it is. I just did your dirty work for you. No one will find out. Take them. I don't want to, said Jack, crying. I'm not stealing, I just, my mother needs the candlestick. I covered your track, said Edgar. I blamed the Persian rug you soiled on one of the chambermaids, and she took a sound drubbing for you. I fed you medicine. Where's your gratitude? I didn't know, said Jack. I'm sorry, I didn't want anyone to get hurt. I didn't mean it. Someone always gets hurt. Someone has to take the blame said Edgar. If you don't take the pearls and leave the candlestick, I'll tell on you. I'll tell everything. You wouldn't. I would. Well then, nothing matters, does it? I'm sorry, Edgar. Jack took the candlestick under his shirt and started walking towards the door. Edgar intercepted him. Don't you dare walk away from me, you thieving piece of trash! You're a crybaby! A weak little crybaby! You're a runt! Jack hit Jack Edgar hit Jack so hard that both the candlestick and the knife fell out of his tunic as he dropped to the floor. Jack's nose was bleeding. You went no better than the Powy boys gang, said Jack. the what what's this said Edgar, picking up the knife. How rare it looks right, savage. I'll take this as well. I need that said Jack. It's mine. come get it then said edgar jack got up and snatched at edgar's hands edgar made to swipe at jack with the knife and then pulled back how would it feel to be cut by this he said shall we see give it to me said jack weaklings don't need sharp blades said edgar i'll show you the real weakling is said jack jack looked edgar in the eye and boxed him in the mouth without thinking Edgar dropped the knife, stunned. Jack picked it up. Edgar grabbed his wrist, and in the ensuing tussle, they both fell to the floor. There was biting and clothes ripping. Then Edgar let out a gasp. A crimson stain quickly covered her shirt. Jack was kneeling over him. Jack's shaking hand held the bloody knife. Edgar was moaning and breathing heavily. Oh, no, said Jack. I'm sorry. You ruined my coat. My mother will have your head for this. I'm sorry. I just needed the knife back. She warned me is what? She warned me that if I don't bring home the knife and the candlestick, I won't see her again. I need her. I got no one, see? It hurts, said Edgar, tears welling up in his eyes. It hurts real bad. What can I do? said Jack. Don't leave me like this. Jack took off his own soot-stained, threadbare coat and laid it over the wound. Edgar closed his eyes. Don't go to sleep. Maybe this will soak up the blood. You can have it. I have to flee. Don't go, said Edgar softly. Don't go. I must, said Jack. I'm sorry, Edgar. I'm sorry I done you like this. I didn't try to. Please forgive me you will be all right again i swear you will jack was interrupted by a shrill scream that emanated from a corner of the room it was a well-dressed lady edgar my edgar help help we've a cutthroat in the house jack picked up the knife and candlestick and fled past the lady out into the street he was covered in blood breathing hard. As he darted down Ironwood Lane, he heard voices ordering him to stop, but he outpaced them all and made it back to woebegone Way. As he entered the building, he heard several whistles blow, blow outside and someone yell, He's the one! Get him! He ran up the stairs as fast as he could, darted inside his flat and slammed the door shut behind him. Well, look who's home, said Jack's mother. He's all bloody, too. My, my, what have you got yourself into? She said, smiling. She was standing next to several boys from the Pouty Boys gang. What is they doing here? said Jack. They're my boys, too, said his mother. Pay up now, she said. Then one of the boys put several coins in her hand. I don't understand. You know them? Pardon, Jack, boys. He's a bit thick. That's why we calls him Buckethead Jack. Everyone in the room laughed. Everyone except Jack. You're my mother. You're supposed to protect me. I protect whoever delivers the goods. And you ain't never delivered, Jackie, me baby. I know exactly how much you got every day, Hawking Matchsticks, because these fine lads shook you down on my orders. I thought maybe they'd toughen you up a bit. And one day you could join them and do me proud. But no, you were just another mouth. You, you told them to? Ah, oh, poor Buckethead Jack. His own mum turned him out. What a tragic tale, said one of the boys. Tell us how you've been passing time, son. I was... I, w- I was sweeping at Ironwood Manor. Oh, you've been up to a titch more than that, I reckon, said Jack's mother. I- it's all okay. I brought you the candlestick, just as you said. Jack held out the candlestick. His mother took a step back, smiling. Looks like you grew up fast, Jackie, me boy. You done me proud after a turn. That ain't your blood on it. No. I'll not be touching anything with blood on it. Least the authorities come clamouring for more blood down below. Authorities? What you mean, mum? They're here for you, my little cutthroat jack, said his mother, tenderly brushing hair from his face. You brung me something far more worth than any candlestick. I have? What is that? Why, yourself, me lad? By now there's a hefty sum attached to your name. Dear sweet thing, don't cry. Think of how well mummy will eat when you swing from the gallows rope. You are a little bag of gold on two legs. and Not only that, you'll make us all into fine citizens apprehending the little cutthroat. No, mother. No, you have to save me. I didn't mean it. It's too late, Jack. I hear them coming up the stairs now. You are dead to me, soon to be dead to all. I hate you, mother. I hate all of you. You haven't heard the last of me. I will haunt you. I will find you. I swear I will. I will find you and slay you all. Jack took out the knife and ran towards his mother with a yell. She stepped to one side faster than a snake fleeing a grass fire. One of the pouty boys tossed the tin wash bucket over Jack's head. Jack heard their laughter as they formed a circle around him, pushing him back and forth, hitting the bucket. Bucketed Jack! Bucketed Jack! They taunted. There was pounding at the door, a voice called, Open! Open in the name of the king! They pushed Jack closer and closer to the open window. He swung with fists this way and that, hitting nothing but air. He stood at the edge of the window frame. Everything grew louder and louder building to a cacophonious fever pitch, his mother laughing, the pouty boy's taunts, the whistles blowing, the pounding on the door, the pounding of his heart, jeers and merriment from the street far below. Then there was a moment of peaceful stillness. Jack could see the ground far below, the only view the bucket on his head allowed. For the first time in his muddled life, everything was clear. Where he was, what he was, what he had to do. He turned and faced the street. It ain't so bad, he whispered to himself. It won't hurt as much as the rope. Over his shoulder, he said to his mother, I will see you again real soon. When you see me, don't try to run. No, Jack, come here. You ain't, you ain't no good to us in a pile below. You got to let us give you to the magistrate. Jack felt a rush of cold air lift up and enter his tunic. I'm flying, he thought. I'm free. There was a loud clang. Then all was silence.